It's the Craggy Rugby Podcast. It's the Treviso Way edition. We weren't at the game today, but myself and William did have a look at it, so William Davis is on the line. Good evening, Alan. How are you? I'm good, and my name's Alan Deegan, and Connacht had their Italian job today. Go! You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off! This is the self-preservation society. This is the self-preservation society. Okay, William, great win in Treviso, if not necessarily a great performance. Yeah, they got their, their, their Italian job done. We had a little bit of the Italian job there from uh, 1969. Great film. Uh, sets us up for, yeah, look, it was a huge day of rugby. Let's face it, Connacht, Ireland, Scotland beating England. All sorts of things going on. It's it's the rugby overload season. Three games on television last night. So you had three out of the four television stations in, uh, should we say, the Republic of Ireland last night showing live rugby all at the same time. It's all a bit mad and a bit tiring. But Connacht did get the job done, and they'll be absolutely thrilled. Uh, It wasn't a particularly great game of rugby. It mightn't have been a particularly great performance, but from where they were... When they lost to Zebra, um, they managed to they managed to come away with four points, and probably a couple of times in that game it, that didn't look likely. The, the first half was a very poor affair, but seven uh, 0 down at half time. Probably the key moment in the whole game, in one respect, was the the, the Treviso try. Tito Tabaldi scored it in the thirty sixth minute. But a bit like Robbie Henshaw against Italy, he got badly injured scoring it. He seemed to do something to his ankle. Yeah, he was tackled. He was being tackled as he went over, isn't he? He was, and he, he limped off. Uh, it, was, it was converted by Banks, and they were 7-0 up at half time. But Tabaldi had been running things from nine for Treviso, organising the little general sort of role. And they got a bit shapeless in the second half, and Connacht, Connacht got got back in nice try by Finlay Bealham in the 44th minute which wasn't converted um, Connacht had also missed a penalty early on in in the match but the, the, Connacht sort of had a little purple patch I think maybe from around there uh, uh, Jared Butler got a nice try in the 62nd minute which was converted to bring it back to 12 each and then another key incident a, a really stupid yellow card uh, for Treviso by uh, Ione for a, a sort of a three quarters of a tip tackle and the referee was quite correct to yellow carded and uh, Owen Griffin scored a fine try in the 74th minute which was converted to put them 22-12 up and they got in for a try right at the end the Marco, Marco Fuser scored it it was basically Connacht going for a Connacht going for their four try bonus and they turned the ball over and didn't quite have to cover around the field to stopped them from scoring it wasn't a, a huge issue really from the point of view of where they'd been last week to get an away win in Benetton who have been playing great rugby this season and you know I know some people on Twitter were talking about this was their second team but you know most of those guys especially in their back line have been starting most of the season um, quite a lot of them and they've, they've played the last three or four matches so you're talking about it wasn't fully their second team yes they've 12 guys with Italy and they've another seven or eight guys who are injured but some of these guys have been holding down their spot uh, with Benetton, so like they they were they were a half decent side, but I think as you as you mentioned, Tabaldi going off had a huge influence. They they lost all control at, at halfback, and kind of got a lot more space and energy, and and came out in the second half and played a lot better rugby. Well, I expect the they had there was probably a little chat at half time because the first half was was pretty pedestrian by Connacht. Uh, both sides were pretty inaccurate. There was a lot of stopping and starting, um, a lot of knock-ons or balls being dropped. Um, and obviously th- there's a bonus point in it for Treviso, but means nothing to Connacht because it, Treviso are from the other conference, so that's that's just another point, but it doesn't really affect what, um, what Connacht achieved. Unfortunately, the Cheetahs for the second week in a row haven't done us a favour. Um... You've been following that game against the Ospreys. Yeah, Ospreys scored a try in the last minute to 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 win the game by a point, a point or two. Um, yeah, that's that's a bit unfortunate from our point of view. But you know, on on sixty minutes, the Cheetahs are winning. 
and winning quite comfortably but um they just couldn't couldn't finish it off they ran out of steam so it'll be interesting to see because they're they're having to do the same sort of travel as connect actually they've one day less of travel to do i suppose um although yeah connect are traveling tomorrow so they'll probably travel the same way but both teams doing a lot of traveling this week and going from quite cold temperatures to quite warm and mild temperature or hot i should say i think it's going to be 28 29 degrees during the day but the evening temperature should be a lot more pleasant uh, even though there's a threat of rain apparently um, but yeah it should be fairly even from that point of view although you know Connex will have to learn to deal with playing at 1400 meters which will be a whole new experience for them but yeah the Cheetahs could have done us some favours and didn't yeah because they, they failed last week to beat Cardiff uh, in a game they probably should have won as well and that's that's the whole Connex have no control over that but that's that's what you have to keep an eye on. You know, Cardiff picked up four points. The Ospreys have picked up four points. They're still alive. Uh, and today's win, Connacht picked up four points. But, yeah, the Cheetahs could maybe have done us a little favour there. Um, sometimes you need that. And for them to lose today, I think, 27-26, and to lose last week, 25-20, it does show they're starting to maybe come to terms with playing up here a little bit more. You certainly can't say that about the Kings, who got uh, absolutely annihilated by Leinster last night to lose their 16th game in a row. That's that's a pretty tough t- tough station for them. It certainly is. It certainly is. I'm looking at you know you're looking at the table now. Cardiff are they're playing against Zebra tomorrow, and we're you know we're hoping Zebra might do something. I'm not sure they'll be able to do something tomorrow, but you never know. Cardiff are on 33 points. Connacht are on 32 points, and Ospreys are on 30. If Cardiff don't manage to get the win tomorrow, it really opens up the door again. Because um, like the one thing Connacht have is, like, you know, people have been complaining about us all season, but of those three teams, Connacht have a points difference of only minus 19 compared to Cardiff's of minus 35 and the Ospreys of minus 112. So um, maybe things aren't quite as bad as we've thought they've been. Four try yeah, bonuses, I think I, four losing bonuses, I, I, that's not bad. Yeah, I, th- I think after the... Um lost last week to Zebra. I think I think it's just it was it was more the performance. You know, you can lose a game at any stage, but the performance was so poor and the failure to correct the issues in the second half. Yeah. Uh, it it did pull everybody up and I think it certainly pulled the the team and and the management up. I you know, spoke to Kieran Kane on Saturday night. I spoke to him again on Tuesday in the press conference. Um and I think some of the lessons, there was, there was a much more intensity today, even in the first half when it wasn't going particularly well. Certainly after half time, um, they lifted it a bit. I thought uh, Tom Farrell had a good game, mm. um, did, did did some decent things. Um, but it was it was more of a sort of team effort, unless any, any particular player stood out for you. Well, Jared Butler coming back is, is hugely important. And Sean O'Brien looked a lot more comfortable at six than he did at eight. And having Finley Beale and Dennis Buckley back in the front row made made a big difference. Um, I think we we one thing that was I found a bit strange, and Emmett mentioned it on Twitter earlier on, when Jared Butler broke through and scored that try after that excellent break from from uh, Keen Galler, who had a better game and seems to be growing into form. Um, he only had one person come up and and you know tap him on the back and say well done, and the subs were at the back of the goals and they didn't bother coming over and cheering them on and then I thought that's a bit strange so I went back and looked at it and then I looked at the, the last try and it was just almost the same again it was a you know oh, we scored and we'll, we'll go back there isn't Bundy brings a whole new level when he's with the team of inclusion that doesn't seem to be there at the moment and you'd wonder what you know is there something what we're missing is it is it again this scenario where guys know they're out of contract or they know they're playing for their contract and they're, they're struggling mentally just to, to sort of feel part of the whole thing uh, I must say I, I didn't notice that. Um, I was just trying to make sure I got the right minutes and time. So I, <laughs> when I was doing my reports for Galway Bay, that I had the right try scorer and the right. Uh, did, I didn't miss anything, so I wasn't looking around particularly on that. Yeah, it's it's certainly a, a major part of the game. We'll be talking about the Six Nations in a minute, but today, on a slightly different note, in the Scotland England game, um, there was a sort of a punch up in the in the tunnel as the players were coming off. Uh, before the game started, which I say is going to lead to a certain degree of um, discussion. Um, some of the England and Scottish players got in each other's way and there was a bit of pushing and shoving and they're 
there may have been a slap or two handed out. Uh, well, it is, it, is, it is a relatively narrow tunnel and it's quite long, I know, because I walked up it <laughs> the day of the final as I tried to get out onto the pitch when I didn't have the right pass and the sweat was rolling off me by the time I got to the end of that tunnel from the dressing room. So there is quite a distance and it's not particularly wide. It's barely wide enough for the two teams to get out. So as they went in, yeah, it, it certainly seemed to get the Scots fired up anyway. Yeah, it certainly did. And, uh, well, we know the result now. It's blowing the whole... Six Nations situation wide open. Um, first win in 10 years in the Calcutta Cup for Scotland. Fully deserved. Came with a fabulous game plan, which they, they executed really well. Two wonderful games today. Um, interesting, intense, a bit different to what we're watching this afternoon. But let's face it, international rugby should be. Yes. That's, what you're, that's what it's about. That's why people pay a lot of money and want to get the tickets and they're hard to get and there's a lot of hype around it, and it's it's games like today that justify that. That certainly does, and the atmosphere was brilliant, and it is a brilliant stadium. You know, I certainly have fond memories of it. Um, before we go and start talking about the Ireland game, because as we we move along, I just want to give a quick thank you to SportsNewsIreland.com for their continued support. We're doing our best to bring Connacht rugby out to the world, so um, thanks to Sports News Ireland for that as well. So yeah, rugby today, and with Ireland playing. Wales in a game that you know, where there was slight rumours before the game that even Sexton mightn't be fit, but he had an amazingly good game today. Not to mention Bundyaki, the the Connacht man scoring a try. Yeah, Bundy, he looked so excited to be playing and so fired up, and um, it seems to be bringing his rugby to a different level. There were people questioning whether he would be up to that level. Well, I think he's possibly answered their questions now. Scored a lovely try, did a lot of good stuff. His mate Farrell in the centre with him. Um, man of the match, debatable maybe on that. But it's just it's just a choice thing. But he had a hell of a game. It was a it was a tough, intense game. Um, Ireland. Well, if Johnny Sexton had kicked his kicks, they'd have won a lot eat more easily. Yeah. But then if they hadn't had him playing the way he did, uh, especially in contact, and some of his passing was absolutely top drawer and it, it's just brought the whole thing alive and yeah I think I think playing opposite Bigger today really inspired him to go out and show what he's really about because he was absolutely brilliant today I thought that first pass he gave to to Stockdale was unbelievable it was an unbelievable pass it certainly was and it was a it was a fine try um, he has the makings of a very good player Stockdale he's He's maybe a more of the modern winger. I mean, he could have played flanker a few years ago, um, but he's a huge man. He took his try very, very well. And the, I don't think Ireland would say they at, at times they didn't play perfectly, but winning in those circumstances is a is a great skill. It and is, especially when you're missing. You know, when you look who, who you know we lost Tyke Furlong, and everyone said he was the cornerstone of the pack, and then Andrew Porter comes in and has a cracking match. And then you got James Ryan come in, like he's only a kid, and he really does look like, you know, a reincarnation of of um, Paul O'Connell. He he's just phenomenal. The work rate that lad goes through is is incredible for a young man playing in second row. Yeah, they it's it's almost a bit awe inspiring when you see uh, these players coming in uh, at that at the ages they come in at and the skill sets that they have. Um. Maybe it's the case that if you want to get into, say, the Leinster side, now you have to be better than the guy you're replacing by quite a margin. But to see young players coming in with a sort of a no-fear attitude, um, some of the young, the older statesmen of the side seeming... I mean, I thought Rob Kearney did fine today, player that I've had question marks about in the past. Keith Earl seems to have a brand-new lease of life, yeah. which is probably testimony of the fact that he's managed to be, stay injury free I think his career has been blighted by injuries but now he seems to be playing his acceleration at one stage today again yeah. was it made me you know it make you gasp he just he's gone he just turns on the afterburners and he's away but he's and also playing in his correct position of wing not centre yes. not full back yes. wing no that is his, that is his position and that helps um so it just sets it up. Scotland coming in in two weeks' time. I mean, you have to be looking forward to that. It's um, 
And it's also great because we get to see these players in um, the Pro 14. That, yeah. that, that's, where, that's where all of them are based. You don't see them in every game, but it's, you know, they're available to you at the sports ground or if you go down to watch Mun- playing Munster or you go down to watch Connacht playing in Leinster or whatever, you, you get to see these players and it's great to see them in the flesh and then it's great to see them when they're playing for Ireland. It is, and, and you know, you go somewhere like, you know, you want to go to a, a place with brilliant atmosphere, there's nowhere better than, than um, up in Belfast. That's still my favourite place to go and watch a game outside of Connacht because the atmosphere and the crowd and whatever, and as you say, you're getting to meet these guys. Like if you... If you walk around the back, you'll actually run into these fellas, and they're so accessible. One lovely thing I did see on television today, uh, at the end of the game, one of the ball boys went up to Devon Toner and asked him for his uh, shirt, and Toner took it off and handed it to him, and the kid ran off, and he was absolutely <laughs> thrilled. He ran down the touchline, pursued by his mates, who didn't look quite as thrilled. He, maybe, maybe they dared him to do it, or he said he was going to do it, but he went and did it, and um, look, that's a great moment, and... Um, well, let, it'll be it'll roll on again very soon. But before that, of course, Connacht are, are going to South Africa, and uh, you're indeed. heading down there, Alan. I am indeed. Yeah, I've decided I've I've um, to try and get rid of some sad syndrome issues I normally get around sort of late March, early April. I I go and get some sun, and I thought, wow, look at this. Here's an opportunity. So, um, getting off alcohol for a couple of months <laughs> let me save some money. To, um, to put away to to go down and and um, go and watch Connacht and you know do a little bit of reporting and certainly do a podcast from the whole thing and I'll, I'll podcast the whole trip so we'll we'll have a podcast from there, um, and Craggy will go on their trips again. It's not quite Siberia, but it's um, still pretty exciting. Yeah, it's the eleventh uh, country Connacht have played representative rugby in, if you count Ireland, which of course you have to do. So a little quiz question, no prize. See if you can work out what 11 countries Connacht have played in. Yeah, tweet in your answers. You can catch us on Twitter at Craggy Rugby Pod. Um, see if anyone can get the name of the 11 countries. Absolutely. So, there's, no, there's no prize, folks. I'm sorry we don't have any funds for a prize, but, you know. <laughs> no, Maybe we next. don't. But let, let's, let's, see who can, let's see who can get in there first. You can have the, the joy of being the, the first one in there. So yeah, I'll be I'll be doing that podcast for next week, and then we'll so we, we will have a we're going to do a midweek podcast this week, um, because we have um, an interview we've got to do, and we we need to do some updates from the uh, there won't be an actual press conference from Connacht because they're on their travels, but um, we're hoping to get some updates about who's traveling and who's not, and so we'll do a bit of a preparation midweek podcast uh, after this one. And, and in this one, in, in a while, and I should have introduced it at the start, and I forgot. And um, we've got your excellent interview with Owen Masterson. Yeah, it was a great pleasure to meet up with uh, Owen on the 20th of February, which was exactly two years to the day since he had that horrendous in, in injury in Zebra. Um, match I was um, summarising on for radio. Um, and he, he talks about that very well, and he talks about how difficult it was to come back. So I think it's really worth listening to that because it gives you an understanding of how you know professional players. It's very, it's great when they're running around and everything's going well, and the crowd are cheering them on, and there's lots of excitement. But there's a hell of a lot of work when you pick up an injury like that, where you've got to dig very, very deep, and you've also got to make sure I think that you're not defined by an injury like that. And uh, so it was really good to catch up with him. And with Owen Masterson, uh, it's the 20th of February 2018, and we're going to talk about the 20th of February 2016 in a minute, because that's part of the story, but, and that's only by accident, that wasn't entirely planned, I only actually realised that this morning, when I was doing my last minute bits of, uh, uh, what would you call it, uh, work for the interview here. Um, How's this season gone for you? How do you you think? it's been a, obviously been a change of management structure here and stuff. Um, I suppose from a personal point of view, coming back from a season where I had spent the majority of it rehabbing, I've really enjoyed the season just being uh, fit and available and healthy. Um, obviously, I have a lot of people to thank for that between Garrett Coughlin, our head physio, and Tristan Sharp, who was our S&C coach here, who's now moved on to uh, Stade Francais. And then a new S&C coach that have come in here, uh, Johnny O'Connor, Barry O'Brien, and... Dave Hoare, who you know developed a really good uh, pre-season program that 
I found really gave me a new um you know an like a clean start after after the break and come back in for pre-season and felt I was really in in good shape to to attack the season ahead so um I think I've been available for every game and uh you know which is part of the thing obviously everyone has picked up knocks and bumps along the way so I've obviously enjoyed uh, the game time um and then I suppose uh, from our point of view obviously as you said a uh, new management came in and um we'd uh, maybe a bit of a slow start to the season but uh, I remember saying a few weeks about about I think we were about six or seven games in I think we'd we'd lost five games and won two or something like that and I felt we were so close you know I think all the games we'd lost we'd got losing bonus points in and I felt we weren't very far away at all and then obviously we got into Europe and I think we you'd saw signs that we were starting to find our feet and then when it got to Europe we were we were on on that upward curve and obviously got a few wins in Europe and that started us on the on the right path and it's got a good win then against Munster and a few other good wins um back into back into Europe then and you know that form continued great win here against Ulster and then obviously cu- a tough couple of fixtures like away to Leinster you know that the review of that game was very tough you know we we could have made history there as well we were five metres away from doing it, you know, and then obviously a five-day turnaround against Munster, it was a tough fixture, we didn't perform as well as we had been done, back into Europe again then and uh, secured a home quarter-final and then we came back after that break and um, obviously I thought we got a great one here against Ospreys, you know, who were a talented team, you know, the last time we beat Ospreys at home in the sports ground, we went on to win win a trophy and then obviously, you know, this week against Zebra was particularly disappointing given how as I've just been talking about, we seem to have been on an upward curve, on an upward curve, going well in Europe, you know, things coming together in the Pro 14 and then obviously took a, a bit of a dump, uh, slump there at the weekend. So, um, yeah, it was particularly disappointing. But, uh, look, we we're, we're, we're had a, a good review of it, of it yesterday and we're um, we're still excited for what the season holds. Obviously, we have a home quarter final to look forward to here and a couple of big games coming up in the Pro 14. So, as I said, it was a, it was, it was a blip. Hopefully we take every single bit of learning from it so it never happens again. And, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to looking positive. To answer your question. <laughs> it was a very frustrating night. Oh, yeah. Um, I talked to Sean and Brian afterwards, talked to Kieran Kane as well, but I think it's always sometimes interesting to talk to the player. You can tell by the body language. Because it, it, is, re- it is a shock, I think, when you can lose a game. And that you know that's part of playing. You'd never win every game, yeah. but when you lose a game like that, and the systems have broken down a bit, and the lineouts not working, and it's a sort you get pulled up a bit short, I suppose. And you, is there a case when you're on the field when you're trying to correct it? Does it become? Does that really increase the pressure on you? Because you you're trying to fix things as you go, and they're not fixing. Yeah, um, as yeah, it, it, it can get frustrating. All right, um, you know, I felt in the first half we. Um, We'd we'd started the game kind of defending for the majority of the first let's say five to ten minutes, and then we got the ball back and um, had a couple of attacks. And you know our line out in, in the early stage was going all right, but you know we had a couple of mauls and we didn't really get them going. The referee penalised us for one that maybe was a bit harsh, but you know that that's the way these things go. Um, and then we gave them some easy outs, and then it wasn't just it wasn't just you know. We 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 didn't. It wasn't just that we weren't scoring. It was that when we made a mistake, we seemed to let's say we did miss a line out, or they'd seem to get the ball, and a back row would have a run. That one of their back rowers would have a run through our back line, and he'd make twenty thirty meters off it, and they just got up the pitch so easy. We we weren't we weren't able to sustain. We weren't able to keep them in their twenty two and build the pressure. It seemed every time we got in there, we didn't score first off, and then after that. The, the error we made gave them the ball back and they were able to break out so we never got to reapply the pressure um, but yeah and then I suppose when things are going badly you try and keep things as simple as you can and when things you know you know, uh, uh, with the conditions and whatnot, and things aren't going well it, it can get frustrating but I thought um, you know the la- our, 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 I thought our attitude was pretty good I thought we kept kept applying ourselves and kept plugging away till the very end and yeah overall you know a very 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 frustrating night do you enjoy being captain? Um, it was it, it was nice. Now, obviously, um, I, I I did enjoy it, but I, I do enjoy it, but I didn't enjoy it on Saturday. I suppose you could say. Um, obviously, it's a massive honour. You know, I, I love this place, and uh, it was a huge honour to be asked to captain the team. But um, I suppose with, with that great honour comes a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. So obviously, when we put out a performance like that at the weekend, you know, I, I have to be held accountable as well and I'll put my hand up if there was ever any, you know, bad calls that went out there or um, you know, maybe I was guiding the lads in the wrong way, you know, I'll 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 take the hit for that. But um 
Yeah, no, look, it's a massive honour, but with it comes massive responsibility. And when things are going well, you know, great. But when things are going badly as well, you have to be able to take that as well. Going back two years, I was commentating on that game in Zebra. Uh, it's a very complex afternoon for us because our ISDN box blew the whole electrics in the whole stadium, which was not <laughs> our fault. It was an Italian telecoms problem. And that's, our, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Um, so it, it, was very, it was a very difficult afternoon. And then that injury occurred. Um, I think I knew at the time, and Rob knew he was commented, and I was summarising um, how serious it was. It was only afterwards. I only read this today, and I'm going to read this out because I think people have to understand. There's a ruptured ACL, ruptured PCL, ruptured LCL, a ruptured popliteus, a grade 2 tear of the meniscus, and deep damage within the meniscus in the left knee. And you, you read that now and you think, good God. And I remember seeing you on the, the following evening on the plane, yeah. trying, to, trying to get you onto the plane and get you three seats to sort of lie across. And what was going through your mind? Well, how does a, an athlete, I mean, if that happened to a non-athlete, it's, it's, a, it's a different set of circumstances. But when it's an athlete, when this is your profession and your living and what you do and what you've yeah. worked so hard for... And you must have known it was bad when you when you. Um, it's it's funny. I, I I can remember it. I can remember the series of how my my kind of thought process changed very well. Um, so obviously got the bang in the knee, and I was like, oh god, this doesn't feel right. And um, getting stretched off, I was like, I'm probably going to be out for next week. And uh, and uh, at, at the time, like you know, I didn't know. I'd never I'd never injured my knee before, so I didn't know if it was a broken leg or maybe it wasn't as bad as I was first thinking, or it was. A bit of bruising, or I'd sprained it or something. So I, I had no idea really what was what was happening. So then um, got to the uh, got to A and E with uh, Robbie Fox, our uh, our masseuse here, uh, was one of the guys who came with me. And obviously there's a bit of a language barrier there. And uh, they did an X-ray, and there was no break. But uh, you know, with the, with the broken English, the Italian doctor was able to tell me, "Oh, cruciate, cruciate," and I was like, "Oh God, cruciate's gone. We're you know, going to miss the rest of the season now." This is. I was very disappointed at the time. I was like, "Oh, you know, we're having a great season. I've been enjoying the season myself. We're a couple of huge games coming up. Like that's a bit of a sickener." But then, by the time I got on the flight and got back home, I think I'd already got over that. I was like, "All right, yeah, okay, going to miss this season, but look, I'll just. It's it's February now. I'll view this as an extended preseason. A cruciate ligament. You can do that in six months. March." April, May, June, July, August. I'll be back by September. I'll get a double preseason. I'll get a good chance to do loads of work in the gym, and I'll be ready to go by September. I'll be I'll be a better player because of it. And then went for um obviously the the follow up scan. So I'd got the X rays in uh, Italy. There was nothing broken, and then got the uh, the MRI scans here in Galway, and uh, took a, took a about a let's say that was on a on a Monday. I got the scans. We got back on a Sunday. Got the scan on the Monday, and. Um, so I was waiting for results, and on Tuesday, um, John O'Donnell, the doc, rang me, and he was like, how are you on? I was like, oh, not too bad, yeah, so it's, it's the cruise it is at six months. He goes, ah, it's, it's, it's a bad enough one. It's, you know, it's, you have your, uh, your, your LCL gone, your PCL gone, your ACL gone, you know, your MCL's gone, and this and that. I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, that, that, sounds, that sounds bad. And he was like, yeah, yeah, it's a nasty enough one. And he was like, I think Garrett's going to give you a ring now in a minute um, if you want to hold on to him. So I put the phone down, I was thinking, God, like the only person I'd heard of, uh, I'd heard of like I think Michael Owen did something to his PCL before. I'd never heard of kind of people doing. First of all, I didn't even know there was four cruciate ligaments in your knee. I thought there was just one, and I was like, God, I didn't even know there was that stuff in amount of stuff in your knee. And I remember, I remember someone telling me about Michael Owen doing his PCL and how it ruined all his pace and ruined his career. I was like, Oh God, you're right, Michael Owen, right? And then I got the got the call from um, Gareth and. He's like, yeah, was John talking to you about the damage? And I was like, yeah, 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 he was, he was. Um, uh, I was like, it's, we'll be all right, though, won't we? We'll be all right. He goes, yeah, well, we're going to go up to go see Ray Moore now, the surgeon in Santry on Thursday, and he'll tell you which way to go one way or another. And I was like, hold on now, what does, what does one way or another mean? I don't, I don't like the sound of that now at all. He's like, look, Owen, look, I may as well just, I have to be honest with you straight up, you know, I've, I'm physio now for how long, and I've never seen a knee quite as uh, damaged as that. So, you know, he might just tell you that it's... Uh, you know, it's it's you might you might have to you know the worst case scenario might happen here. You might have to pack it in or something. I was like, oh, 
you know, and that, that that was that was obviously incredibly tough to hear. I was very upset and stuff. Um, you know, I didn't. I've been playing rugby since I was five years of age, and all I've ever wanted to do is uh, play professional rugby. And you know, all my family out here in the west of Ireland and in Mayo, and I absolutely love being here. And I was just loving playing my rugby and stuff. And it's just just like that. It um, it all kind of was crazy. Like I couldn't believe it at all. So um, that was on a Tuesday, and then I spent. Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and uh, you know, waiting to go see this the surgeon in Santry. You know, just the worst, the worst two days waiting around, waiting around to see what this one guy was going to tell me. You know, um, whether I could play rugby again, basically or not. So, um, went up to Ray Morn on uh, in Santry on the Thursday, and uh, he kind of was fiddling around with the knee and whatnot, like. And uh, I was just sitting at the desk, just tell me it's going to be all right. Just tell me it's going to be all right. And he was saying, yeah, it's a bad one, you know, there are a couple of different options here, going to have to do this, going to have to... I was like, look, am I, I going to be able to play? He goes, I'd be cautiously optimistic. I was like, that is fine by me. And I, <laughs> I crutched out with Santry and went to Gareth's like, let's get cracking. So got the operation then um, on the Saturday, that Saturday. So within a week, so I got injured on the Saturday. The following Saturday I had an operation and uh, woke up anyway and... Um, you know, surgeon came around and explained what had happened. He's like, okay, so what we've done now is we fixed the meniscus in your knee and we've repaired your LCL, whatever way they repaired it, they'd attached it back together and that was fine. He's like, you're going to have to come back in about in a few months and we're going to finish your ACL again. I was like, oh, so I need two operations. And um, he's like, yeah. And he's like, okay, obviously your PCL's damaged as well and I could operate on, I could do another operation on that, but I'd be worried, you know, if you keep operating and keep operating, your knee could get very stiff, and obviously you don't want a stiff knee. You want to mm-hmm. be able, your knee to be able to bend uh, fluidly and whatnot. And uh, I was like, okay, okay. So basically I got this special brace made uh, to help repair the PCL because it has, the PCL is able to um, heal by itself it's, if it's given the correct environment around it, um, whereas the ACL can't. So uh, I got this special brace that had to stay in, day and night basically for for about 13 weeks I think and uh, so I was on crutches non-weight bearing for 13 weeks and my LCL had he was operated on my meniscus had been operated on my MCL was going to heal by itself because I just said it was only a grade two and then this brace for the next 13 weeks was going to mash my PCL back together so went back then 13 weeks after being on the crutches and um, he was like you know moment of truth was kind of oh if this PCL is is kind of um Knitting bacteria goes, yeah, look, it's it's done its job. I was like, oh, thank God. So went um went then and got my operation on my ACL and uh he fixed that up and then he woke up, he's like, We might need a third operation. I was like, Oh, come on, come on. He's like he's like, I'm not sure. So he he sent me for a second opinion and my second opinion was uh with a fella called Stephen O'Brien in New York. So um never been to America before. Um and basically he wanted to get this guy's opinion on whether my uh whether my knee was stable enough, basically, with the obviously the amount of damage that had been done, whether it was just whether it was going to be too lax or if it needed operation to tighten everything up again, and um, went to this fella Stephen O'Brien, New York, and he was like, "Ray Moran has done a great job. Your your knee's fine. You're going to be you're going to make a full recovery." And that had been the first time I'd heard everyone anyone tell me with any you know degree of certainty that I was going to make a full recovery. So I think that was around July time. So I was about four months in. So um, I was delighted then and. Um, could come back here to the sports ground and get really cracking with the, the really aggressive rehab and the strength and conditioning work with uh, Tristan, as I mentioned, and Gareth as well. And from there on in, it was it was pretty easy to be honest. I um obviously I I I'd, I didn't really mind when the, obviously I I wanted to come back as soon as I can. But when you're about ten months in and they're like give it another two months, you're you're like okay, that's fine. So um yeah, look, it, it was it was it was amazing after that. Just um. You know, like obviously there was a huge amount of rehab that needed to be done. Had to be very diligent with everything. Couldn't couldn't do too little. Couldn't do too much. You just whatever they told you to do, I, I just did it. And um, yeah, that that was it. Then returned uh, returned to play for uh, the Connacht Eagles in January, and then played a couple of AIL games for Norwegians, and then came back. Funnily enough, against Zebra about twelve months later. So um, look, it was obviously um, devastating at the time when it happened. But having come through it all, um, you know, I think it was. Not a good experience, but um, something I, I learned a lot about myself and um, just about overcoming, you know, obstacles and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, uh, it was it was a funny experience. A wood part of what what you, what you've learned maybe is you don't take sporting excellence for granted, or you don't take other situations. It's you've got a different appraisal of things now. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, I suppose it was. Um, 
when I was coming back from injury, and obviously I hadn't hadn't ran in a long time, and obviously every player, you know, did talk about how much preseason hurts and it's uh, a bit of a slog and stuff. And I just could not wait to get out and get ran into the ground. You know what I mean? So um, that was one of the things I was I was looking forward to. Yeah. So yeah, look, you you appreciate what we're doing here and um, how lucky we are, and uh, yeah, appreciate everything about it. So because. You know, it, it, it can be gone in, in in one tackle or one carry or whatnot. So yeah, it was great. And it must be horrible for a player to be in in that situation. I I, I always think it's great if a player can finish. And I'm talking about finishing, but I'm saying on their own terms. Yeah. But so many finish up in one of those offices that you have, and they're all the same. They got these big wooden doors on the carpet, and the door closes behind you, and they always look vaguely the same yeah. in those hospitals and stuff. Yeah. And. It, it it must be it would be worrying for anybody, but for a professional, for an athlete, and you, you say you wanted to be from the time you were five. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting to hear how you've overcome that. One final thing I've got to ask you, and I, there's there's so many, not so much stories about how you finished up at Connacht, but there's almost if 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 you read it in one way, it's almost like a sort of a. You might remember Roy of the Rovers, which was a comic book thing when I was a kid, but it's almost like you arrived with your bag over your shoulder, banged on the door and said, I want to play rugby, give me yeah. a chance, well, give me yeah. a chance, I'll do it for nothing. Yeah. Um, wh- how, how did that really come about? Yeah, no, it, it wasn't quite like that. Um, so I was about 19 turning on 20 at the time and um, had been, let's say, playing with Ireland, well, hoping to play with Ireland under 20s. And um, from there, uh, you know, get a professional deal somewhere. In, like I, I was training in Leinster at the time, just obviously having grown up in uh, Leinster. But as I said, with family and stuff in in Mayo and stuff, Connacht was always a very attractive option. Like my brother left school and came came straight here, despite having come up through um, through Leinster. So, uh, but basically, so obviously, I I felt at the time to get to get to get picked up by any academy, you you need to be playing Ireland in the 20s because that's where they're going to see you that's where they're that's where the spotlight's going to be and um so I, I'd come back from another injury uh I'd, I, so I played Ireland under 18s for two years and had captain them the second year and I was looking forward then with uh, great hope for Ireland under 19s and Ireland under 20s and unfortunately about a week before due to play Ireland under 19s dislocated my shoulder which was another six months injury not quite as I thought I thought I thought it was as long as you were going to get in rugby, but then I found out about my knee. So um, so then I was kind of um, kind of uh, recovered in time for, to hopefully play for the Six Nations with the Irish under twenties and um, missed out on selection. Basically, didn't get picked um, initially. I was like, oh god, this is terrible. And then um, got uh, got called up for one game. I was like, oh thank god, I'm I'm back in now. And got one minute, and then I was dropped again. So um, I was obviously very disappointed. And then so. I was left kind of. I wasn't at, at, at by by about May June time. I wasn't you know in an academy anywhere. I was kind of worried on the fringe that you know if, if I don't get something sorted in the next while here, I could be um, I could be gone basically. Do you know what I mean? I could be out of the kind of the the pathway to becoming a professional rugby player, and uh, so. My dad, being the Scotsman, got involved and was like, "Would you, would you try go to to Scotland and stuff?" I was like, yeah, "Look, I, I need to play. I need I need to be seen somehow." Um, so I went to the World Cup with. Uh, it wasn't as it wasn't as easy. To, I initially got I initially didn't get picked for Scotland either, but then because of an injury, I got called up to the World Cup and ended up playing in every game for them. And then when I found out I was going to go to the World Cup with uh, with Scotland, I rang Nigel Carlin, now our backs coach, who at the time was the academy manager, and said, "Look." Um, I'd love a chance to come down to uh, Connacht. I'd love it um, in the academy and whatnot. I'm going to the World Cup now with Scotland. Would you? Would you? Any chance you like? If you could see any of the games, keep an eye and okay, call in. He was like, he's like, oh well, we'll see how you go in in the game, and we might be. You could come down and do a trial. If I was like, that's brilliant. I'd love that. I'd love that. So um, Nigel was brilliant. Got all the uh, accommodation and everything sorted. Uh, lived with the academy lads in Gortnacarba, and had had basically. All the um, oh, I got use of all the same facilities. Got everything that the academy players get without being officially a contracted academy player, and then played a couple of um, AIL games for Corinthians, um, which I who I first joined and loved my time there playing with Corinthians and played a couple of Connacht Eagles games, and then um, about October time got signed up to the academy, which was which was you know I was absolutely delighted, and then about a month later after that, 
uh, was making my debut for the senior team against the Scarlets, which for so had been a mad six months. I'd gone from being dropped from Ireland under 20s, dropped from Scotland under 20s, to getting an academy deal, which was my goal, and then playing my first game for a senior team. So it was, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Good experience. Oh, and that's great. It's fantastic to hear the, the details of it. We wish you well for the rest of this season. Uh, we'll follow the progress with interest. Uh, there's a vacancy for captain here, of course, next season. So you never know where that might go. But uh, thank you for talking to us. Thanks Great very stuff. much, William. All right, that was that was Owen Masterson. Good job, William. Thanks, Alan. Yeah, lovely fella, and uh, hopefully has a con- very good continuing career with Connacht. It's uh, somebody who we've been watching for a while, and uh, very interesting. And of course, his brother last night, Sean, was playing for the. Um, under 20s uh, in a slightly bonkers game against Wales <laughs> under 20s which they lost 41-38 um, sort of game that would give palpitations to coaches especially defensive coaches because both teams just decided that tackling and defence was basically well, not what they were there for last night but it was a, a thoroughly enjoyable game proper under and 20s rugby in my view <laughs> I, I agree with you and of course then on Sunday afternoon the uh, Ireland women will be taking on the Welsh women in uh, Donnybrook as well. So that's another one because there's lots of conic players in and around that Ireland squad. And uh, we'll be looking forward to having a... That'll round off what has been a very, very large amount of uh, rugby over the last couple of days. It certainly will. It certainly will. So we're just going to nip into any other business now. And as we come to the end of end of this week's podcast, and I suppose the first thing to, to talk about is we were mentioning, we ch- chatted about earlier, the, the Cheetahs game. It's the first time Cheetahs have not been on television. And they had to issue an apology to their fans because there was no television coverage for their game against the Ospreys. Um, which is somewhat strange for a South African professional rugby team not to have their game on television. Yeah, I think they, they, would, they would find that very odd. Uh, because all Super Rugby games are covered. Uh, and that's what they would expect. Very simply, they they were playing this evening in Wales, and um, there was probably just no Welsh channel prepared to to televise it against um, the Calcutta Cup game. Uh, maybe they wouldn't be allowed. I, these regulations about when you can show games, they kicked off at half five, which is about half time in the the game in uh, Murrayfield. Mm. But it's interesting because that does suggest that there's maybe more of a following. Obviously, it's probably just. You know, it's a few people, but it's interesting that that the, that they had to do that, and um, it's good to see that people are noticing that and saying, "Look, we want to see our side." Even because they have been on this mini tour, they've been up here yeah. for three weeks. I mean, Connacht are going away for two games, but the Cheetahs have been away for three. Um, as have the Kings. It's probably much easier to be in the Cheetahs' camp than in the Kings' one when you're having the season they're having. But uh, that was an interesting pickup, and another thing that we talked about it's something that I mentioned last week and it's mm-hmm. come up again um, there's something slightly peculiar about the way fixtures have been set up uh, last night you had Munster and Glasgow playing in Limerick the top two in Connacht Conference A um, last week we had the Leinster playing the Scarlets and next week I think Scarlets are going to be playing Leinster and for these games to be taking place in the middle of the Six Nations when all of those mentioned sides there are going to be missing substantial numbers of players, it's, it's a funny, it's just, it just seems to me as a very funny time to set the fixtures. And I, I understand you can't get it right every time. There's, there's, there's issues now with the three interprovincials at Christmas here in uh, Ireland mm. and the fact that players are going to be missing. They have to be rested. There's going to be camps going on. But you would have thought it was pretty obvious that Munster and Glasgow were going to be near the top. And I know you're making a prediction when you set the fixtures up, but pretty obvious that they were going to be fairly well up the Conference A table. Uh, Glasgow have actually qualified for the, for the, for the playoffs. They, they've won that many games. Um, and people have gone to the games and they've enjoyed the games and they've been televised and they've had audiences. But I just wonder, would Pro 14 maybe have to have a look at that? I, I know you can't be absolutely certain 
who's going to be top of any conference at any time when you're setting fixtures into the future. Um, but it just does, maybe it just hasn't worked out for them this year. Maybe it's the way it had to be done. But they're, they're losing traction on uh, because the Six Nations is on. Yeah. And sporting sponsors, uh, well-known beverage that sponsors the uh, Pro 14, television companies who pump money in, it, it, just, it just looks a little odd to me. And I fully and, accept and yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and you're looking at a situation where last weekend the Six Nations Twitter account went, what are you guys doing with no rugby this weekend? And they got quite a few people going back, well, uh, hello, <laughs> there's, you know, there's Aviva Premiership Rugby, there's Top 14 Rugby, and there's, there's Guinness Pro 12, or Pro 14 Rugby. Like, it seems as though they don't seem to appreciate that, you know, they are where they are because of what's built below them. They wouldn't exist without, you know, these other leagues and all the, the stuff that goes through. And, and sometimes can they can be a bit arrogant about it and... Sorry, I'm, I've gone off on a slight rant there. Um, but it does annoy me at times that, that it, there's this sort of lack of understanding that, you know, the game has foundations and the stuff at the top is just the stuff at the top. Um, but, you know, as part of the foundations, they, you know, the leagues need to play a certain number of games and unfortunately they clash um, during Six Nations. But we've had situations in the last two years when I think it was Treviso came over here or was it Zebra? Somebody, two games we had over here during... And international, the same days in international, we got our two biggest crowds against those people. So sometimes it can feed onto it where people want to go and see the live game based on what they're seeing on television. As we mentioned earlier, you know, seeing international players, even, you know, the international team can only have 15 players or 23 players. So yeah, a lot of the guys can get released back to their, yeah, their clubs and, and you might get to see them playing for real and live in front of you anyway. So it's a strange mixture. And it's something that the Southern Hemisphere don't have to deal with because they don't play as many games and their leagues are structured so that Super Rugby is played and finished before they play the international rugby and then the, the local rugby is played afterwards and then they play more international rugby. So it's, um, it's a strange setup in here and it's obviously got to do with money. <laughs> uh, it is. And it, 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 look, the, we could be here half the night discussing moving seasons round and moving games, but... I just be interested to see next year how these fixtures are set up. Um, but it's just slightly odd the top of the table clash is taking place. And, and you're quite correct. There is a sort of a, what are you going to do without rugby? Well, actually, rugby fans will find rugby somewhere. Yeah. There's, there's any amount of it. And it's, it's noticeable. Um, TG Cahar had the match today in uh, Italy. Um, they had uh, the Leinster game last night. Then they had extended highlights of the Munster game. It's a good time for media to be actually attaching itself, and I'm not saying they do because they've been showing rugby for years, but there is a buzz around rugby. Yes. The Six Nations creates um, hype. Hype is one word for it, but I think it's a bit deeper than that. There's a real affection for it, Mm. and it's a real opportunity for rugby. Um, It provides a huge income stream for the IRFU and the Welsh Rugby Union and everybody else that's, that's, and you know money money is necessary it, it costs a lot of money to run this game now it's, it's a different it's a different era from when I started watching uh, rugby seems like a million years ago um, <laughs> but it, it, it's good I think it's great but I just think they maybe need to finesse the fixtures a little bit and just say right we need to um, maybe be careful that these games especially big top of the table games like that don't just get lost um, in the mix. And, of course, the diehard fans will be there and they'll be following the game and they'll want to know what's going on. And I'm sure there'll be some Connacht diehard fans in South Africa with you, Alan. So I'm sure you'll be looking to talk to a few of them, find out how they they got down there and um, yeah, how they know some their of, experiences. I know some are going down, taking making a, a, a long... You know, I think some are there already and then some people are going to, you know, do a nice 10-day trip down there and they've gone to Cape Town. I hope they bring their own water with them because I, I believe there's a somewhat of a water shortage down that end of the, um, South Africa. I don't think it's quite as bad up in, in the Bloemfontein area. Um, but yes, I'll definitely be on my on the lookout to, to chat to some people and see how they manage to get down to the other side of the world because it basically is. Well, if you see a strange guy running towards you with a microphone, folks, don't run away. Stop and talk to him. He's very friendly. And that's, of course, if the beast from the east doesn't actually take a nip out of our trip 
because that that cold weather that's coming in they're talking about snow coming in on wednesday and i travel on wednesday um from dublin to london and then london down to south africa uh, so i'm hoping that the <laughs> there's no no issues with the flights taking off um and then you guys can enjoy the beast Alan. Positive attitude. Well, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm, I'm, I'm all prepared, but there's only so much I can do. <laughs> well, you can always get a shovel and start clearing the runway in Heathrow when the old um, snowplow has broken down, which once happened to me at Dublin Airport, which uh, led a, well, let's just say the captain of the plane made a phone call on his mobile phone while he was standing outside the cabin <laughs> that was very blunt and very direct. Um quite funny to listen to actually <laughs> so i hope i hope i hope that isn't your problem i hope you i'll be a great trip and um we look forward to following you we'll be uh on friday night uh galway bay fm we'll be doing a, a little preview and we'll have some interviews coming up from yep. the captain's run and mm-hmm. uh, we'll also be covering the game from a distance i'll be in studio so if you're you can't find television coverage and you want to keep an, an eye or an ear on what's going on. And uh, we'll have obviously got a podcast. There'll be some very interesting stuff on that. Um, should be a fascinating place. I think you'll find um, people down there. Uh, South Africans like to talk about sport. Uh, I've been there for cricket quite a few times. And uh, so hopefully you'll find a few local people to talk to. And uh, great opportunity for Connacht, I think, on the back of today to go down and just see what they can do. Every team that's gone down there this season from the Northern Hemisphere uh, has struggled. Glasgow managed to win. But it's an opportunity to test yourselves in different conditions, and uh, I think that's a good challenge for any uh, organisation. It certainly is. It certainly is. It's certainly something I'm, I'm looking forward to, and um, hopefully the, the forecast is a little bit better than it looks at the moment, which is showers and thunder showers, but maybe there'll be some sunshine in there for us as well. Um, okay, William, I think we'll we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for your thoughts tonight. Good night, Alan. Take it easy.